If you are not 18 years or older, go away. This is not for you. Hello, and thanks for downloading another episode. Uh, it's summer, which means it's way too hot in the apartment to do interviews. To do any interviews, what happens is, is the air conditioner is so loud that if I shut it off to record a conversation, within 10 minutes, you're just way too uncomfortable. So it's sort of the, uh, a low period right now, interview-wise, but uh, we'll be picking them back up again shortly. I want to say if you want to connect with uh, me, with the podcast, you can go to FetLife, and it's uh, Massacast on FetLife. Also, uh, you can shoot me an email, massacast at gmail.com. This episode is with uh, Cunning Minx, who I've known her for a long time. Uh, you know, sort of in passing. We haven't really had a, a terribly long conversation before, but she's been doing podcasting for a very, very long time. Um, her podcast, Polyamory Weekly, it was one of the first ones uh, on the subject. Maybe the first one on the subject. Um, and polyamory is actually a really big thing in the kink community. Uh, even though I myself am not polyamorous, it's weird how, uh, at least in New York, a lot of people assume if you're in the kink, then you're, well, yeah, I must be polyamorous too, right? There's just a lot of people who are polyamorous in, in the scene. And um, so I figured there's tons of questions I've got for her because I don't understand polyamory myself. A lot of people out there might have uh, a lot of questions as well. Plus, she's uh, an awesome person. So here's a conversation with her. To tell you where I'm coming from in the polyamorous thing is I used to identify as polyamorous. Mm -hmm. Really, it turned out what it really was was uh, I just wanted to sleep around a lot, and I thought it sounded a lot more evolved to say I was polyamorous. That's, it's it's okay to that if you could still call that poly, that's okay. Well, but I, I had nothing to do with multiple loves. It just meant I wanted to sleep around a lot, and that he's saying that was a lot. Women found that a lot easier to uh, swallow than than me saying I'm a, I'm a giant whore. I, <laughs> I'm a man whore. I'm a giant whore, and I have no interest in a serious relationship, <laughs> right? Um, but it was, it sounded much more evolved and cosmopolitan to say, and for me to say that, right. I mean, I, I, I have to say, I only identified this after the fact at the time I thought I was polyamorous because I knew I met a lot of people who were polyamorous and I thought, Oh, okay. Yeah. They get to have a lot of sex with a lot of people. I am too, you know, yeah. um, turns out that wasn't the case. I just hadn't met the right person for me. I was monogamous in a whole bunch of different you know, poly relationships, I guess you could say, I don't know. But, um, uh, and then I met, uh, the woman I married and, uh, I can't imagine, I can't imagine sleeping with anyone else or, 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 or being in a relationship with anyone else. So I was like, Oh my God, I was such an asshole for telling people that I was polyamorous when I, when I was just, you know, clearly I was, I was deceiving myself even. So that's where I'm coming from. So that way, you know, I know nothing, almost nothing about, I can barely spell polyamorous, you know, so <laughs> you're definitely going to be, and also, I mean, hopefully you'll be able to dispel some of the myths and all the, I, I so actually I, I heard, I was listening to Polyamory Weekly long before I started this podcast. You've been doing it for, wow, it's what, it 10 years almost? 10 years this month. Yes. Look at that. I just guessed. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm totally a masochist. So why uh, why did you start it? Is it because there just wasn't a lot of material out there and you wanted to educate? Is it because you just were fascinated with it or, you know, 
I started the podcast because I fucked up Polly so badly in my first year with my first partner and his wife. And we just had nothing but drama for, you know, the first year or two of our relationship. And I just stepped on every Polly landmine you can imagine. And it was right about that time that RSS came out. And um, my partner at the time, Grey Dancer, um, started podcasting and he showed me how. And I was like, oh, well, you know. Something I would like for people to know is all the stuff that we fucked up that I now know was like completely idiotic. So I just basically wanted to throw myself on the poly landmines for the people that were trying it for the first time and warn them, you know, don't do this thing that I did that caused all this grief and pain. So that was really all it was to begin with. So great. I mean, I'm sure if people listen to the Massacast, they probably listen to the rope cast if not they should uh, because it's been like it's been around for probably 11 years right something, something yeah he started just a month or two before i did so yeah so you'll always you'll, he'll always be one month ahead of you unfortunately well except i don't think he's been publishing if i can brag on myself a little bit i don't think he's been publishing no, I, I, um three to four episodes a month i think it's a bit more sporadic these days but that being said the content is all fantastic yeah, yeah, I agree. And I have to say, I listen, and when I see oh, in my podcast feed, I'm like, oh, there's another one. How does she do it? Because I can barely crank out one out every other week. Um, I don't know how you do it. And I, clearly, you've got plenty of material because it doesn't get stale. Um, <laughs> yes, there's, you're laughing. there's I'm, I'm never not, a not, lack of polydrama, ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so we've, we got that. Let's back up even further. What happened? How did you get involved in Polly? And how, did you always know you were Polly? Was this something you did as a lark? Was it a threesome thing that kind of expanded or what was it? was actually it? a little bit of everything. No, actually what happened was um, I fell in love with a poly guy. Um, I, I I met Great Dancer. I instantly felt something. Uh, we became friends. Uh, he lived in Madison, Wisconsin. I was in Chicago, Illinois, so we did a lot of messaging and chatting back and forth. And this was back in the days of live journals, so we read each other's live journals, which really makes me feel old. And um, he came out to me as Polly, and he and his fiance at the time. And I was like, wow, okay, just so you know, I'm not interested in that in you that way. I'm not interested in that, but thank you for telling me. And we kept chatting and the affection between us kept growing and I just got more and more excited. And finally I said, you know, tell me more about this poly thing. Uh, and and I, I just ended up falling madly in love with a poly kinky guy. And so we explored poly and kink at the same time together. And it was this you know, big whirlwind. If you... Um, if your listeners have ever had, you know, met their first dom and first discovered their submissive tendencies, you know how very intoxicating that could be. And now combine that with trying to navigate polyamory with this metamor, his fiance and then wife that I, I didn't really know and I didn't want to step on any toes. I didn't want to be a jerk, but I, I also didn't know where I fit in or how to, I didn't really understand. And they had never had a long-term partner before. They had just done a, you know, a couple of parties where they would hook up with a, um, you know, with, with a person or a couple perhaps, but it had never expanded to a relationship. So none of us knew what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I fell in love with him and I decided I could either try polyamory or 
skip it and look for someone else. And I'm really not one to miss an opportunity that I feel that strongly about. So I said, well, okay, I'll try dating this guy and it's probably going to explode in like a month and be a story for my grandchildren later on that I tried this crazy thing. But um, (laughs) we were actually together for for five years. That sounds... I mean, that's a hell of a first time. It really was. Uh, that's a good way to put it. It was a hell of a first time. That is true. It was just um, an amazing journey that the three of us took together. And I, I learned a lot and I, I I grew a lot as a person and as a submissive and as a slave. And um, and I, I did get hurt a lot, to be fair, in the non-consensual way. But, um, but that's just one of the hazards of being in any type of relationship is, you know, if you open yourself up to love you open your and trust you open yourself up to pain too so i guess this begs the the first question is is do you because you, you when you started you started that story you said that uh when you were talking to him you said look i'm not i'm not into that that's not my scene um but you started to obviously you warmed up to that and then you decide you then you eventually identified as polyamorous do you think people have the tent have the possibility of being polyamorous if they are given the right scenario i guess my question is do you think it's a something you're born with this this capability or is it something that given the right nature or nurture i guess is the question. <laughs> well i'm not a biologist or an anthropologist or a sociologist um so i can't really answer that question definitively i thought you were all three that's the only reason i had you oh on. well sorry just I, I faked all those credentials Damn it. well one thing i can tell you is that uh, if you look at biology um, human beings are what we call socially monogamous which is we tend to form pair couplings uh usually Um, either for romance, but typically for childbearing. As humans, that's what we do. We pair up for childbearing and bearing. And um, But then we also have a strong tendency to extra pair couplings, which means that basically we like to find partners and we like to experience our strange and we like to cheat on our partners. And that is just, that's been proven time and again that that is our biological urge. Now, you can decide for yourself whether that's good or bad. Um, you know, many people sure. choose to be monogamous. They think that's the way to be. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I think cheating is bad and I'm just going to stick with this one. And that's awesome. Good for you. Um, but there are many people who feel that they are hardwired to be poly and they don't want to cheat. They want to be really honest about things. So, you know, I can't for sure answer the question of, you know, whether people are hardwired for polyamory in particular. I can say that we are, are not as a species um, strictly monogamous, just socially monogamous. And, you know, however you identify is fine. It's um, – No, I, I, I yeah. agree. Maybe I should have said – maybe I should have said this – Phrase it this way. Do you think you would have stumbled upon this one way or another, you personally? Uh, or do you think that it took a very specific situation for it to, for you to be, for your eyes to be opened or for you to, you it's, know, to be open to it in the first place? You know, place? it's a really good question. I will admit that when I was a little kid, I would fantasize about, um, you know, meeting my handsome Prince Charming who would whisk me off to Paris and uh, we'd live a glamorous <laughs> lifestyle as little girls do fantasize about. But then what was interesting is after a year of living with my glamorous prince in uh, in Paris, I would fantasize about meeting another wonderful um, Parisian guy or usually with some other ethnicity or something to be more exotic or more fun. And it's so funny because I could never figure out how to end the fantasy where they were both 
uh, it's I would bring in my additional character and I never quite knew what to do with them because I'm like, I don't want to ditch the first one because I still love my imaginary prince. I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. I was always very confused as a child. So I, I guess you could take that as a sign that I was naturally polyamorous or at least naturally curious about it. It is an interesting question that if I hadn't met Great Answer, if, if it would have been someone else, if I would have gone the rest of my life without knowing what polyamory was, uh, I don't know. I, I actually can't say. I, I tend to think that because I was, uh, because the kink was definitely in me from a young age, I suspect that if it hadn't been Grey Dancer, I would have eventually discovered the kink scene. And since there is a lot, a lot of brands of non-monogamy in the kink and BDSM scenes, that I probably would have run across it at some point. How how was uh, your kink exploration early on? How did that manifest itself? That was so awesome. Oh. I mean, think about your first kink relationship. I mean, again, there's just nothing like when a girl meets her first dom and everything clicks and everything that he does is just the bee's knees and just changes your world. And you're in subspace all the time. And every time you're in subspace, it is amazing and a life-changing experience. It was really amazing. Um, he, he'd actually had some uh, kinky partners before. Um, I'd always had sort of a tendency, but I hadn't really ever explored it any more than, you know, a partner maybe tying up my hands with silk scarves or something like that. Um, but after exploring on our own for a little bit, uh, I think it was just a couple months in, I decided that this was not something I wanted to share only with this partner and that I wanted to have a community to support me through my kinky exploration. So I did a little Googling and I found uh, the TNG Munch in Chicago and where I lived at the time. And so I, I started going to munches and meeting other kinky people. And I found the Chicago scene, which is quite extensive. And so I started making friends and going to classes and things like that, sometimes with him, sometimes without him. Uh, again, since we lived in cities that were a couple hours drive apart. It was him that really kind of triggered this. It wasn't something that like like early from an early age had experienced like some sort of tendency. Oh, I always had a tendency. Yes. I mean, my fantasies, my masturbatory fantasies when I was a little kid were um, definitely along the lines of being tied to railroad tracks, being tied up, kidnapped, forced to do things. Uh, I have never had a sexual fantasy that did not involve some element of coercion. So that was definitely always in me. But it was never something that... I, I thought it's something I liked thinking about and fantasizing about, but I hadn't really had the opportunity to explore that IRL, if you will, in real life um, until Great Dancer came along. And we both had an interest and kind of dove headfirst into the scene. Well, you were in that first relationship, your first poly relationship. It was also a kinky relationship. Have you always tried to explore primarily in the kink scene or do you, because it's poly you can find some oh here's a kinky relationship and here's a uh you know a, a more vanilla but you know also intense uh, relationship or or how does that how has that manifested itself you know it's been really interesting when i think back that you know that first relationship that we had we definitely spent a lot more time exploring our kink than our poly mostly because kink is really really fun to explore and poly is a lot of talking (laughs) so we definitely spend a a lot more time focusing on the kink um, and only on the poly if there was a problem and there was always a problem and it was always unpleasant Um, 
but I do feel that um, it was actually really challenging after we broke up and I would have some kinky play partners, which is fine. I mean, the scene was very open and friendly and it was easy to find people to play with. It was more difficult to find a long-term partner that just really wanted to be with me beyond just playing. Um, and for a while, it was okay that I just had play partners. And then after a bit, it, it wasn't okay. And I really wanted something who someone who wanted me for me and not just because of my hot kinky ass. Um, so I kind of went through a couple of changes. And these days, I have to say, it's been a very interesting couple of years because um, I'm, I'm with a, a partner now, Lusty Guy. He co-hosts the show with me sometimes. And we've been together three going on four years. We had our commitment ceremony like a year and a half ago. And um, when we first got together, I was worried that he wasn't kinky enough for me. And I think I was actually a huge asshole to him. And I think I said something like, well, you know, you're not dom enough for me or whatever. Oh, such a jerk. <laughs> that's actually something that's very common for people to say, right? It, it's actually a common thing that Especially women will tell guys, from what I understand, there's a lot of, and I've heard guys say that to women too, but I have a lot of uh, female submissive friends who will say that they had to break up with a guy because he wasn't dom enough. It's, it's yeah. And you know, the thing, the thing with me is that I, I didn't discover kink and poly. I was in my early thirties when I discovered it. So, you know, by the time that gray dancer and I broke up and I was exploring the scene again, I'm closer to 40. So um, it, it was a little easier to kind of pin down what I needed and what I wanted. And, um, and Lustig, I was also very patient with me too, in that respect, because, you know, what it came down to is, you know, if I want a scene and I want to be in subspace and I want that, that's really easy for me to find. Um, I do need to have my, a partner that can give me that from time to time and understands it. But, you know, I will admit that that is actually less a part of my relationship than it was um, 10 years ago when I was first exploring kink. Because you know how it is when you first explore kink. It's like your whole life becomes kink. I mean, it's it's just, it's all enveloping because it is such an amazing scene. And the experiences are so far beyond what you can get for most of us than what you can get from vanilla sex and from vanilla experiences. Right. Um, but then... After a while, it, it kind of – I'm like old and lame, <laughs> so it kind of toned down. And these days, it's really um, – we have – I mean, we, we only seen publicly occasionally. Most of the time when we seen, it is private. And um, most of the time, what is – it's funny. He'll, he'll ask, like we always do a check-in before we have sex, and he'll say, what do you want? And I'm like, oh, you know, just the usual. And he's like, okay, so – punching, slapping, kicking, choking, humiliation, you know, the usual. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, um, which is, that's like vanilla sets to me now because we're right. not doing like full costume and collar and slave and public. And it's not three hours long um, where the goal is subspace. The goal is actually, you know, for us in most of these instances, the goal is um, the connection that comes specifically with sex. So the BDSM right. aspects are a means to having that um, connection rather than getting into subspace or, you know, something like that. Um, but I will say that, you know, kink and BDSM have always been a part of who I am ever since I was young. And that is something I think is just always going to be there in me. Again, to this day, I, I've never had a sexual fantasy that didn't involve some level of coercion or force. So I think that's just always there. It's just a matter of where it fits into my life. 
one of the most relieving things for me when uh, I met the woman I'm married to is uh, I could stop looking uh, because it took me so long to find her, right? It took forever to find her. And then finally, you know, that happened. And I have friends who are poly and it seems like they're always on the lookout. They're always looking, they're always searching. And I'm not saying, you know, obviously everyone's experience is a little different, but it seems like uh, there's always, oh, I've got three dates. They've, I've, you know, everyone's got like every poly person I know, they've got like several dates that are every single week. They're always looking and it looks like, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, just chill, just relax. I'm not saying you don't have to keep looking. I'm just saying you they're always out there and it seems so just draining. <laughs> I can't imagine. And, 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 and that being said, I know poly people who are constantly dating and they're in two or three relationships already. And now obviously maybe it's just the thrill of the chaser. I don't know what it is, but that sounds so holy crap. That's a lot. That's a lot. To do. Is that, is that common? It's just like, Hey, the more the merrier. Is that the, the idea or what is it? You know, it the... depends on the person. You know, some people don't want any kids. Some people want one kid. Some people want 10 kids. You know, some people think that one kid is plenty and they couldn't handle any more and others have like two or three or four or five and and they love it. So it totally depends on the person. And and I would also say it depends on the uh, uh, where they are in their life, too. It's not unusual for someone to at some point have you know, a lot of partners, however you define a lot. And, you Mm -hmm. know, there are times when, you know, people who self-identify as poly may have no partners or just one partner because of health issues or job issues or um, some emotional issues that they're dealing with that um, they, they stop dating and they do sort of limit themselves to, to one partner or two or, you know, however many they're comfortable with. And, you know, it just kind of depends on who you are and what you want. I mean, I'm kind of closer to you. I think that I've only been dating Lusty Guy for the last couple of years. And I, I fear, I always fear that somebody is going to take away my poly card because I'm only dating one person who happens to be married. So that sort of counts as poly. But, uh, you know, it, it's not very often that somebody asks me, you know, why aren't you dating somebody else? Because if you listen to my show for two minutes, you understand why I'm not dating somebody else. I, my right. job is my other partner. Uh, my day job is very demanding and I love it. And I, I really put a lot into it. I'm one of these people that can't just have a job. I have to have something that I really love to do and that I find challenging. And so, I mean, that's my nine hours a day that I'm working on keeping that partner happy. Um, and then I have lusty guy. And then I also have my own health and, um, I have a chronic condition that I have to take care of. And then of course the podcast is sort of my other partner. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. uh, well, which is not to rule I anything wanna... out. I mean, I've talked with lusty guy about this, that, um, uh, you know, what happens when, you know, what happens if I happen to meet somebody and if, if there's a rare instance and I'm actually open to meeting him and feel like I could date him. And, um, of course he's very open to it. Um, it's, we, we're kind of, we're not officially a closed V, but we, in practice we are, 
Um, well, that's not actually true. He does have another partner um, that he doesn't see very often. Um, and his wife doesn't tend to um, see anyone else these days either. So we've kind of defaulted to that. But there's always a possibility. I mean, the idea is that we can. If his wife, you know, decides she wants to go back to the swing club or she wants to have a girlfriend, she can. If I decide that what works best for me is to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, another one, or a BDSM partner or whatever, then, you know, we talk about it and I care about their feelings. So I would bring it to them first. And then we just kind of, you know, figure out what I need to do to keep everybody happy and to go explore this thing on my own. I think it's important to note, too, that I, um, and I, I hope the listeners is a are thinking the same thing as well, is that uh, I would not expect you to speak on behalf of the polyamorous community. Uh, you know, when I'm asking a question, I'm just asking for your own personal, um, you know, your own personal take on it. Um, because obviously, you know, that's that's where it can come. And maybe if nothing else, you might be able to explain some of the misunderstandings I have about polyamory. Um uh, so yeah, I don't. I definitely don't want to put. That's way too much pressure for 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 anyone, much less someone who's uh, you know a, a non-serious interviewer like myself. That would be you know, someone else who would want to ask those questions. Um, but uh, it's interesting. I have uh, I have a friend who's poly, and he is very he he really explains it for him. He explains it like, look, uh, in, in his experience. Uh, not one person can take up, you know, can fulfill every role. And, and that's why he has multiple partners because different partners can fill different roles. So maybe one partner is into this kink that he's into another partner could be into this kink that he's into. And, and that's, and it's totally awesome. And I think, you know, that's, that's perfectly understandable. And that works great for him and, and his, the people he's around and who surrounded himself with. And then there are other people who, uh, who, it seems like whenever they're around, uh, and this is not just true for poly people, this is true for anybody, of course, but it seems like there's a certain brand of poly person where it it almost feels like they're just searching for drama. It almost feels like... Now, let's be fair. They there are, are plenty of monogamous people that do that, too. That's what I said. I said that, too. I, I said that as well. I said uh -huh. that as well. But but I, I will say that when you if you have someone who's... Uh, let's agree. Let's agree on this part. There's there's people who just look for drama wherever they go, right? And whether, regardless of sexual orientation or relationships type they're looking for, right? I mean, we can agree on that. Right? Yeah, and, and uh, I will actually object. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I actually am not terribly fond of what I call the checklist approach to polyamory, which is I have sure. need A, need B, need C, and partner. A feels need A and B, and partner B feels need C, D, and E, and then I have partner C that fills these others. I don't really like that. I, I don't really like that approach. I actually don't find it terribly effective. I think that when you're dating, people can tell when you've got a checklist in your head, and it's just, <laughs> it, I, I don't think it works very well. I, I know that it's easy to explain things that way, but I much prefer the analogy of um, children that you have one child that you love and are completely devoted to, and then sometimes you decide that you would like a second child or a third child, and it's not because your first child fills one need and you have another need the first child doesn't fill, so you have a second child to see if maybe that child will fill that need. Um, it's simply because you decide that you have more love to give and that you decide before you go in that you are going to love that person fully and wholly no matter who they are or no matter 
um, basically no, yeah, no matter how they come out. And I find that a lot better analogy for polyamory. Uh, that is, that's a, that's a great way to put it. It is entirely possible that this friend of mine feels the same way you described, but had to talk, you know, dumb it down for me. You know, that's, a, that's a distinct possibility. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, so let's back, back to the drama person. So we agree that there's people on, on, no matter what, there's people of all types that look for drama. The problem is, is that when someone who loves dating drama, it's also polyamorous, they're going to find an exponentially larger number of dramas to talk about. At least that's what it feels, because we have friends who, when they show up at parties, it's like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> here comes, here comes the stories that, and it has nothing to do, it's not like we're like, oh, here comes a poly person. It's like, here comes the drama queen. this drama-filled person who also happens to be filled with drama, and it's just... Exactly. It's, as you know, as I pointed out, it's, you know, drama is definitely not unique to Polly. I know plenty of monogamous theater geeks <laughs> that are all about drama and, and plenty of tech geeks that are all about drama as well. You know, right, Lusty right. Guy and I have been teaching a very popular class for the last couple of years called Kicking Polydrama in the Ass. And um, I'm sure it is no surprise to you that whenever we teach this class, it's always packed to the gills. <laughs> <laughs> because so, everybody so loves to complain good. about polydrama. But what's interesting is there's nothing that we teach in the class that is unique to polyamory. It's basically um, communication skills 101. It's just that if I titled it communication skills 101, nobody would come. If you title right. it kicking polydrama in the ass, and I mean, I'll give you the short version of the class right here. Um, Please do. When you're dating, whether it is uh, poly or monogamous or kinky or vanilla, the most important thing is you need to know yourself and you need to be happy with yourself first. And that if you are a couple, that includes both fucking members of the couple. So if your relationship is not healthy, don't start dating other people. Fix your relationship first. Get healthy and happy with yourself and get help healthy and happy with your relationship and then open things up. Also. When, when I teach the class, we actually go through five different tips. But the most important one, I say, um, if you only walk out of the class with one thing, here is the thing. Own your own shit. And what that means is um, we talk about owning your own emotions, understanding what you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, and being able to say like a reasonable adult, hey, you know, I am really upset when I came home and the dishes weren't done, but I will own the fact that I had a terrible day at work, so I did come in pre-grumped, and I am overreacting a little bit because I had all this other stress, and this is just the last straw. So that being said, let's talk about this. Owning your own shit, being able to understand what you're feeling, being able to talk about what you're feeling, um, apart from those emotions, and um, and then talk to your your partner about that and have him or her presumably own his or her own shit as well, basically means that any arguments, which I put in quotation marks, are limited to about sixty seconds. And that's really hard when like emotions are running high well, that, to begin with. That's the thing. Right. This is a skill. If you can describe the emotion that you are feeling when you are having it, it is it is a skill you have to learn to be able to say, I am feeling very angry right now, instead of just, 
yelling in anger or banging the wall or doing all the things that society tells us are signs of anger. Um, it really does take a level of emotional intelligence to be able to identify your feelings at the time and step apart apart from them while you are still experiencing them. But that being said, that's what owning your shit is. And it makes things so much easier. Um, again, Lusty Guy and his wife and I have been together for nearly four years now. And I, I, I was kind of like you. I thought that every poly relationship inherently had drama because of the number of people involved and because they're all different types of people and we all communicate in different ways. And there has been zero drama in our poly relationship. Um, there were one or two little bumps on the road. And when I say bumps, I mean there was one thing that upset someone and we talked about it. And 10 minutes later, it was understood and we were on the same page and apologies were said all around and we moved on. And that was it. It was over. It sounds so it, it sounds very, I want to say evolved, but it, it, mean, it, it does sound very healthy. That's one thing I know. The, the, poly, the polyamorous people who I am close with, that sounds really weird. And it's almost like saying, oh, yeah, I've got friends who are gay. You know? <laughs> no, it's not. the. I mean, no, but I, we, you know, being in the kink community, any big kink community, you're going to be around you know, a bunch of different people of all kinds, right? But it's one thing I've noticed uh, about my poly friends. They do... You know, they do talk about things uh, a lot more, I don't know, I say rationally, but maybe it's just it's just a muscle memory from from, you know, having to learn that skill. Right. If you have that skill, um, the, the ability to name your emotions and to own your shit. And if you have good partners who will do the same thing for you, the drama is cut down to practically nothing. Um, and that's whether you're a mono or poly. I mean, there are plenty of adults who don't have this skill and will never have this skill um, because it's just I really wish we could teach this in schools. I think everybody should know how to do this. Um, but it's incredibly helpful and it just makes for healthy, drama-free relationships. The uh, Another thing that seems very common for people, especially when people tend to first start into the kink scene is, uh, you know, I, I hear this a lot. You'll have couples who go to explore the kink scene and uh, they have a great time. And that's when they start to discuss also, uh, oh, maybe we're going to open up the, it's it's like kink is the gateway to swinging or to poly relationships. Yeah. That happens for a lot of people. And, and then what happens, you have one of the partners thinks it's a great idea that we should totally open up the relationship. And then the other one thinks that's a horrible, horrible idea. And then you're at this impasse where either one of the things is going to happen, either they're going to stay together and not open it, and then one of the partners is going to be upset about it, or they're going to open it up, and then the, the monogamous person is going to be upset about it. Um, have you, I mean, you've talked to a lot of different people who've probably gone through something like this. Yeah, um, yeah. So, is, the, go you ahead, know, the, so the challenge is, the challenge of polyamory is that um, there are a lot fewer – there's usually a lot less attention paid to crafting your polyamory than to crafting your kink. Um, I mean the great thing about kink is there are classes everywhere, day and night, and tutorials online. I mean if, if you want to get into kink, you can I, – I don't know about where you live, but in Seattle there are classes every day of the week. There are – the center is open every day of the week. There are all kinds of munches and groups you can go to to help you craft your kink and learn how to flog or whatever. Um, but there are 
people tend to spend a lot less time on polyamory um, because we think we know how to have a relationship because we've had them before. So, there, you know, there's not really a big secret to it. Um, once again, I, I kind of liken it to having a child. If you're going to open up your relationship, um, even if it's just in a kink aspect, a lot of people like to crack the door open by saying, okay, so it's only for kinky play. Well, how do you define kinky play? What happens if you fall in love with your kinky play partner? What happens then? Does everybody get angry because you broke the rules? Is it your fault that you fell in love? Is it your partner's fault that he fell in love? The thing is, you, I feel you really do have to look at relationships as if you are bringing a child into the relationship. You have to promise in advance you're going to love the child no matter what. You can't say, okay, well, we're going to have a child, but only if he behaves well. And if he doesn't behave well, we're going to give him back. That's you're dealing with real human beings here that have emotions. You can say all you want. This is only for kinky play or um, as long as you don't have PIV sex. Well, that can be really, really hurtful to the people that you bring into your relationship. Um, if it turns out that they or you do end up having stronger emotions, um, you know, we just have the emotions that we have. It's, you know, just because you can name them doesn't mean you don't have them. So I, I think that it does take a lot of courage to try poly because you can make all the rules against it that you want, which I am, by the way, not a proponent of. I think that, you know, the fewer rules, the better. In fact, we don't have really any rules in our poly relationships except no surprises, you know, just keep the communication open so everybody knows what's going on. Um, but the... I, I think there's something about the fact that kink can be very strictly regulated because we can set all our protocols in place and we do our negotiation for the scene. And we think that somehow that covers the fact that we're negotiating people's 24-7 feelings for another human being. Yeah, I would like to see, I will say, I would like to see a lot more kinky people um, taking poly classes and reading poly books because even if you don't self-identify as poly, you know, trust me, if you play with other people, uh, um, emotions and communication skills are going to be involved at some point. And if you don't want it to all explode in your face and give you a bad reputation on the scene, it couldn't hurt to hone your communication skills a bit. Yeah. It's, it's probably, you probably, it's probably obvious maybe why people don't, I mean, even it's probably the smartest communication skills are probably the smartest skill someone could pick up in, you know, in life period. However, as, as I'm stumbling over the words communication. <laughs> Commodification. Uh, uh, however, it's not, it's not sexy, right? I mean, it's not, it's not, people aren't jumping on you porn to look for people talking about their relationship. That's probably why you, you know, people are going to, to the bondage class because they want to tie someone up and that's why they're, that's why they're doing it. Well, in, in actuality, they should, be taking uh, some other you know, classes along. I used it. to think that too, but nowadays I have to say I think communication is hella sexy. Someone who can come up to me and tell me what he wants and ask me what I want, and we can agree on that beforehand is amazingly sexy. Somebody who can look at me and say, Okay, I'm doing a check in. Where's your head right now? I find that super sexy. It's kind of like the argument against using condoms, oh, it's not sexy to stop and put on a condom. Well, you know, you can think that if you want, but uh, I, I have to say 
it came it, uh, there there came a point when I find putting on a condom is incredibly sexy because it means the person loves me, it means the person cares about me and my health, it means a person's actually stopping to think about me and life after the sex. I think they have enough money to buy a condom. Money to buy, okay, I'm the one who stocks all our condoms. And by the way, oh, well, there by you the go. way, if you're broke, buy condoms in bulk online. You will save tremendous amounts of money over buying at the drugstore. It's secondhandcondoms.com. <laughs> you got the I just I'm a sapiosexual and people who can communicate with me easily and well without playing games, I just think that's hot. Well, and that's that's and that I think that's awesome. But I, it's, you probably think it's hot too because you've had enough. You probably have been exposed to people who couldn't communicate, so that that is a, a much more attractive feature. You though. know, I, it's true, and I will admit that when I first started on the scene, I thought that the the you know Dom that you saw across the room who could like make you obey with just a word or a glance was really hot, and it was really hot until. You end up in that tricky situation, as most of us had, if you've been on the scene long enough, where the scene becomes non-consensual and you end up uh, being forced or coerced uh, to do things that you did not agree to. And then it's really not hot. And then you have to deal with the trauma of dealing with, you know, some type of coercion that you didn't consent to, which can be really, really difficult when it was with somebody that you really cared about. So after having had, you know, that experience, I will say that I, I do find it much hotter if somebody will communicate with me up front and, um, and also communicate afterwards to make sure everything was okay. I know uh, people who, I, I know one guy in particular who got a really bad rap in the poly community because it became pretty clear it took years but it became pretty clear that he was really only interested in just sleeping around a lot he had no interest in relationships it was just uh it was just a vehicle for him to you know he he went into the community knowing that there would be people who might be uh in his mind and it turns out he did sleep around with a lot of people uh and then he afterwards, I mean, people were coming up to me like, that guy's such an asshole because of, you know, basically I heard the whole story. He had no interest in any relationships at all. For him, it was just a vehicle for swinging in a way, right? How do, how does one tell the difference? I mean, if you're someone who is interested in, in looking for polyamorous relationships, how do you, is it that you, you just date the person like you would date the person as if they were in any other serious relationship? Or how does how does one even tell the difference between someone who's thinking that this is a swinging opportunity well, well first of all i would point out that there's nothing wrong with what that guy was doing um uh, you know it is perfectly okay to to say i want to have sex with a lot of people and you are a person i'm attracted to that is okay um now if there was some some type of misunderstanding if, if someone if the people who was dating expected a relationship if he was putting himself forth as somebody who was looking for relationships but was actually looking for just more recreational sex, there's a problem. Right. That's what, right. That's what the problem exactly. was. Right. So I find that um, what works best for me is simply to be honest and upfront about what I want. I'm, I'm a big fan. I came from an educational background. I model good behavior. So one of the things that I do is I encourage everybody to write their own user manual. 
And you can find the uh, the sample of my user manual if you go to polyweekly.com and you type in the search box RTFM for read the fucking manual. You will find the entry where I've written out my user manual. And also, um, if you don't mind a tiny plug, my new ebook, Eight Things I Wish I'd Known About Polyamory Before I Tried It and Fracked It Up, I actually included for the first time a template for writing your own user manual. Now, how does this help with somebody else being dishonest? Well, you could say that it doesn't, but I really do believe that honesty begins at home. And so you start by saying what it is that you want, what you need, and how you tick. And what I love about the user manual is that it's not a dating profile. It is explained to other people how you work and what you need in order to be happy. It's not what is my favorite film. It is this is how my parents treated me when I was a kid. So therefore, this is what I think is really special today. You know, some women like being given flowers. Some like being given chocolates. Um, One of the things I include in the user manual is this is what a really special date is for me, um, which is going to be completely different from what a really special date is from someone else. Um, I mean, these days I work so hard. A special date is when I can actually sit with you at home (laughs) and not have to dress up and not go out and not put on lipstick and actually just sit and have a great conversation with a little bit of wine and a lovely view. That these days is really awesome for me. So, Um, I find that really, again, honesty begins at home. Know yourself really well. Know what you're looking for. So that when you're dating somebody, if somebody, you know, comes in and says, I'm poly, but then you're getting all these signals that are more about recreational sex, you can just ask. I'm all for just asking, you know, and saying, what is it that you're looking for? You know, tell me about your last partner. For me, when I'm dating, one of the 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 biggest checks I do is I ask the person to talk about their previous partners. And if they talk about their previous partners respectfully and happily, then I'm like, okay, this is probably okay. If they describe their previous partners as crazy, um, that's a big red flag for me. Uh, especially if it's an ex-wife or an ex-husband, if they're describing that person as crazy, I just find that disrespectful, even if it's literally true. I want to date the kind of person who says good things and who looks at the good parts of a relationship after the relationship has ended. And so if somebody is describing their past relationships in negative terms, um, some women like that because they're like, oh, I'm going to be so much better than she was, right? And what the person is doing is subtly putting you in competition with the previous um, partners, which is a very manipulative thing to do. And I don't, I don't play that game. I want you to, I want you to be nice and happy with your previous relationships and um, I guess that's the only real trick I have. There, there is a, this is, by the way, any guy or anyone, guy or girl, whoever, who's about to go on a date with you, they're going to have an unfair advantage just by buying the book. It's true. And so everyone should just buy the book <laughs> in the event. Someday they're about to have a first date with you. There'll be one leg up or seven, eight legs up. It's actually very funny because I wrote the user manual and I encourage people to write it more as a journey of self-discovery. It's more that you will be a better person to date if you know yourself well and you can ask for what you want to need. It's more like a writing exercise to make it easier for you to communicate when you do date someone. However, when I met Lusty Guy and asked him out on a date, he actually Googled me and found my user manual. And showed up on our first date 
wearing a utilicilt and a poofy shirt. And one of the things I include in, in my user manual is how to flirt with me. And bullet point number one is wear, wear a kilt, wear a poofy shirt. And bullet point number two is quote from the Princess Bride, I can't resist. And I just I write it all down. And it's funny because he showed up wearing the kilt. And I was like, oh, you wore a kilt. That's so cool. I love Seattle. You're also wearing a poofy shirt. And you were quoting from The Princess Bride. And I just got horrified. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You found my user manual. Shit. What did I put in there? (laughs) (laughs) But I have to say, it made the date go really, really well. I bet. Yeah, I bet. You you, you mentioned earlier, and you don't have to say from any specific relationship, but you mentioned uh, over the course of time making every poly mistake you could have made. Could you give us a few bullet points just for those listening who are jumping into this themselves of, of, you know, outside of just, I would say, you know, subscribe to your podcast would probably be the smartest thing you could do if you're getting into this. Um, You're listening to the wrong podcast, (laughs) except for this episode, except for this episode. Just this one. Um, Just this one. Um, uh, So what are, what are some of the like classic mistakes other than the communication you mentioned, obviously? Is there anything else that jumps out? Well, actually, most of it does um, relate to communication. I mean, one of the big mistakes we made, I think, is that we would wait until something was an issue and it blew up in our faces and caused shit tons of drama. And then we would deal with it. And one of the things that Lusty Guy and his wife do that I think is brilliant and everyone should do is relationship check-ins. I file this under communicate early and often. So if you do a weekly relationship check-in where you just meet with your... Oh, sorry. The, the, the sounds outside the door here. I really apologize. Hold on. That shit, dog. I will give her like two seconds. This is so... This is this, when my wife left just minutes ago, and I knew as soon as she left, I'm like, this is it. This is the dog. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, all right. Sorry. You're talking about a relationship check-in. So if you meet with your partner or partners once a week... And just sit down or over the phone, in the car, at the restaurant, whatever, and say, how are you feeling about the relationship right now? Anything going on? And it's a great chance when you are not having a fight to address those early little negative elements that are maybe just barely starting to rear their heads early and often. So it's a great chance for someone to say, I'm feeling really good about us. I was a little annoyed about... um, Uh, when you didn't make the bed the other day, but I I know that I shouldn't have taken that personally and I know you're working on it, so no worries. What about you? How are you feeling about things? And it's a great time to to bring up things like, I notice you're spending a lot more time with partner X. And if that's starting to bother you, this is a really good time to bring that up when you're not having a fight, when it's not an issue yet. And sort of just bring it up and say, You know, here's a little thing that might be happening. It's not a thing yet, but it could grow into a thing. I just want to make you aware. And these relationship check-ins are not about finding solutions, not about saying, okay, I'll stop dating her, but it's more about keeping your partner aware of the pulse of the relationship so you don't have to wait for the explosion. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it sounds like, I mean, that's much, again, that's something that's perfect for any relationship, right? I mean, um, one one last question. This is a biggie. I know this is a biggie. Uh, is I hear from some people 
when they talk about their open relationships, whether that's poly or whatever, however that whatever the way that takes, is um, that they just get over jealousy. They get over it and it just doesn't exist in their world, um, which I find extremely difficult to imagine. I'm not saying they're lying, but it's just I don't I don't know how that's possible. And I know some people who they they'll open it up the relationship, and what happens is is person A will uh, let's say let's say the let's say if it's a, a husband and wife, the wife uh, you know goes out and starts sleeping with a bunch of guys or you know just having dates, and the guy has no real desire to do it, but he does it just out of spite because he doesn't want to be at home alone, right? Or uh, and because he's jealous, and so he goes out to sleep around so that he's not jealous, and that just opens its own can of worms because he's doing something he doesn't really want to do. Yeah. How does how jealousy so, seems like the most difficult difficult thing for me to get over in my head? How 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 does that you know? Is that just more communication? It's so, is that, I it's mean, so funny because um, jealousy is always the first thing that people ask about with Polly, and they always think that's going to be the big thing, and you know, it is a thing. It is jealousy it can be very difficult to deal with because we're not taught how to deal with it in our society. If you look at examples of jealousy on TV, the solution is, you know, shooting someone. And that is perfectly acceptable because you're in a jealous rage. Therefore, you can get off. And um, that's it's it's not our society is not really terribly helpful in showing people how to deal with jealousy. But also, I do find it a little funny because there'll be all kinds of things that you will deal with in polyamory as with any relationship. And jealousy is only a small part of that. But it's the thing that people are most afraid of because I think it's because one of the emotions that is so unflattering that we really don't want to admit that we have it. So um, a couple of things. I'll give you sort of like my short course on jealousy. First of all, when you're going into a poly relationship, this is a disruptive relationship structure. There are no models for it. You will not realize how very much you have assumed as a monogamous person and how very much monogamous privilege there is in the world until you try to embark on a poly relationship and realize, holy crap, I have no idea what I'm doing because there's no model for this. So I encourage people to allow for experience shock. There are plenty of us well-intended people who say, I'm going to be so happy for my partner when she dates someone else. I am so cool. I want to be happy for her. I read The Ethical Slut. I read Tristan Terramino's opening up. I read Meeks' book. I read, oh, wait, I'll, I'll plug uh, Franklin and Eve's More Than Two, which is a fantastic book on polyethics that just came out this year. Um, I'm all good. I'm down with it. And then you find that you become really insecure and they, they come back and your partner's happy and you're not happy for them like you thought you would be. Well, we all need to allow for experience shock. Just because we are logical adult human beings doesn't mean that our emotions, which have been there with us based on our experiences back from childhood, are not going to jump us and surprise the hell out of us. So you need to permit yourself to have emotions and reactions that you didn't think you were going to have. And that's okay. It is okay to be jealous. It is okay to be petty. I am petty and jealous all the time. It is fine. It's just like any other emotion. It's like being angry or sad or grumpy or happy. It's just an emotion. It's not any more powerful than you let it be. Um, but that being said, so now that we've got past the, you know, that little aspect, jealousy is a very real thing. And most jealousies I find are based on some type of fear or insecurity. So all you have to do is kind of go into yourself and figure out 
what the fear or insecurity is that is being kicked off. I personally have many abandonment issues from childhood. So there are a couple of things that I know are going to kick off my abandonment issues, whether that be in a scene or in a poly relationship. I know that if you walk out on me when we're having an argument, that's going to be really hard for me to take. So you got to be really careful about doing that. If you're going to walk out on me during an argument, you got to tell me when you're coming back or I'm going to freak my shit and it's going to take a lot of time to recover from it. Um, so if you drill down and figure out what that fear or insecurity is, um, and a lot of times it just works to have a fill in the blank sentence, which is, um, for example, I'm afraid that if you do X with partner Y, that means that I am, or we are fill in the blank. And that means that fill in the blank will happen. And therefore I will be fill in the blank. So for example, I'm afraid that if you have PIV sex, that's penis and vagina, if you have PIV sex with your new partner, then I will be less important to you and then we will become less intimate and then I will be alone or abandoned. Now, when I actually say that out loud, it sounds rather silly and dramatic, but I find that with with things like jealousy, you just have to take those fears and insecurities and bring those buggers into the light. You got to write it down. You got to say what it is that you're afraid of. Does it make it go away instantly? No, it does not. I still have my abandonment issues, but I can talk about them. I can say, this is what I'm afraid is going to happen, and I am going to work on that. And then my partner, if he's a good partner, says, great. Good for you for working on that and working through that. And what can I do to help? So one of the things that I do is if I'm worried when my partner's out on a date, maybe I do something like I take care of myself. I Maybe I do a girl's night with my friends because that's something that makes me feel happy and special and included. So I get myself what I need, um, which can help lessen the jealousy. Does that make sense? Uh, it does make sense. However, one uh, just to go back a little bit, you said that after after you did the fill in the blank sentence, the mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know if you have penis and vagina sex with this other person, then and you said that after you said it out loud, then it it, it felt a little. Well, I don't know what word did you silly? say? Silly. It felt silly. Yeah. I don't. So that doesn't sound silly to me at all. That that happens all the time. People leave people because for other people all the time. And when you said that, I'm like, that would be my fear. That would be. And so when you said that was silly, I'm like, that's not silly. That's totally plausible and could happen and does happen all the time. I, clearly you're, you are more secure in yourself than I would be. I probably, maybe I have a bigger abandonment issues than I thought well, you know, I there's, had. I there's know. the question. I think a lot of time, and if it doesn't sound silly to you, that's okay. It, but the question to ask is, is it really the PIV sex that is causing all of this. The thing is, other people might have, it's it's very important to own your emotions and to own your fears, right? So if your partner having PIV sex with somebody else kicks off a fear in you, that's okay. It it is, there is no other way that you should feel other than what you are feeling. Having the fear is totally okay. It's probably there because it has happened to you or to a friend. And so there's a very good reason for that fear to be there. Um, The reason I said it might sound silly is because when you say it out loud, you're like, I've been with my partner for 20 years or a year. We have all these other things that bring us together. I mean, PIV sex is great and it does help to cement our connection, sure. But it is not the only reason that I am with my partner. And being able to 
start going down that rabbit trail and saying, okay, what are the other things that make this special? What are the other things that keep my partner and me together? What are the things that make us strong? What are the things that make me strong as a human being? Um, that's how you kind of break down that fear and deal with it. Does that make a little bit more sense? It does. Yeah. It absolutely does. It does. Yeah. Um, uh, so w I'm reminded of years ago, uh, Bill Maher, he had his TV show, Politically Incorrect. Oh, yeah, do you I do. Show? And uh, I'll never forget this. It was Joe Walsh was one of the guests. Joe Walsh, guitarist for the Eagles. Yes. And there were three other guests. I don't know. I can't. I can't remember who they were. The other. The other guests. But the conversation of uh, polyamory was what uh, came up. And you had, of course, they had like a, a Christian conservative person there, and then they had a liberal person there, and everyone was yelling. Joe Walsh wasn't saying a word. Everyone was yelling. One person was saying, "Oh, it's horrible. It's against God's will." And another person was saying, "It's totally fine. Why not let them do what they want to do?" And people had, of course, tons of people. Joe Walsh isn't saying a word <laughs> this whole time. Finally, at the end of the show, he says, "Joe, what do you think?" And Joe just says, "Hell, I can't handle one." And then it cuts to commercial. <laughs> and you know actually when i come out to people as poly that's very often the reaction that you know i couldn't do that one is enough i can't handle any more than that and i'm like great it is fantastic that you know that because again the healthiest thing for any type of happy relationship is a level of self-awareness you need to know what you need in order to be happy and healthy and for some people it's one person that knows and gets them that they know they can come home to awesome you're so right. far ahead it, of so it, many it, other people just by knowing that. So anyone who knows Joe Walsh's history, though, he was he was actually he could he can't handle more than zero in Joe's cases is, is what he probably should have said. Um, he, uh, this has been so eye opening. <laughs> and I, I hope people this if there's one thing to take away from this is welcome to polyamory. Bring your library card. <laughs> so true. <laughs> People should, uh, their first thing, because they can do this right now, no matter if they're listening to this podcast, then they can listen to another one. They should subscribe to Polyamory Weekly. They've got uh, almost, it'll be soon 11 years of history to, to go back on. And uh, you should really have uh, on your sidebar, you should have like the, here are the, here's the first episode you should listen to if you're coming here for the very first time. I've, I've been meaning to do that, to do a couple of tabs on, you know, here are, here are the jealousy episodes and here are the disability episodes and here is this issue. Um, but I figure that's what the search function on the site is for. I'll make you guys sure. do the work. <laughs> it's so, I, I have nowhere near, nowhere near the episodes you have. I've got like maybe 160 episodes and I can't tag one of them. Like much less the ones you have. You 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 could hire a team, a, a crack squad to do it for you. But um, so first, go you could subscribe to Polyamory Weekly right very this very instant, and then you can uh, buy the book. You could uh, actually there's you've got a new book coming out. Eight things I wish I would have known. Eight things I wish I'd known about polyamory. It's out as an e yep. uh, as an ebook, and you can also order it printed from Amazon as well. And um, I also do have uh, on polyweekly.com, I have a resource tab which gives you my reading list of all the other stuff you can read. And there's a section for poly. Um, there's also a great section on kink, and then a, a section on um, I call it for sex scholars, which is about things like evolutionary biology and um, uh, books written by sociologists about monogamy and the, the history of marriage and things like that, if you're interested in that. And then uh, you're, you're actually, I'm surprised. Every time I'm listening, you're at a new, you're speaking at a new 
there's a new conference or something somewhere that you're speaking at, uh, which is great. It almost sounds like there are more conferences than kink events almost. It's, it sounds like it's really picking up. Oh, I could be totally I've, wrong. I've had to limit, like- actually. I mean, the thing is, there's a kink event every day of the month if you're willing to travel all around the world. That's I true. Just, That's good I point. go to yeah. maybe a half dozen a year. Um, uh, again, I have a full-time job, so I have to take my vacation days to go speak. And uh, so, yeah, um, but when the conference is nice enough to fly Lusty Guy and me in and so that we can teach a couple of classes, I love it because I love hearing the challenges that you guys have. Um, I love hearing what's relevant to you so we can give you more relevant uh, insights on the podcast. And I just like meeting people and, and hearing the stories because one of the things I say on the podcast is that um, many voices are more powerful than one. My experience with polyamory is not your experience with polyamory, and yours is just as valid as mine and will probably be helpful to somebody else. So I love hearing other people's stories. Well, I hope my next uh, conversation is even a tenth of as enlightening as this one. I appreciate it. And thanks for dumbing down. I know you had to, I know you had to dumb it down probably a lot. Hopefully, at least it was only a little bit. Thank this, you for doing that. This is just as dumb as I am. So you got me at the regular level. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Bye, guys. There you have it. Uh, Again, you can find uh, her podcast, Polyamory Weekly, on iTunes. You can just Google it as well. And uh, hope you're having a good summer. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Standing there alone, the ship is waiting, all systems are going. Are you sure? Control is not convinced. But the computer has the evidence, no need to avoid.